When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is burnout? What causes this feeling? And how do we combat the feeling of burnout? We'll answer all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Hornacek. Let's be real. Everyone probably knows what burnout is. You might even be wondering why I'm doing a What is Burnout podcast. You might say, Abby, I know it. I feel it. But this is important because it's so easy to feel disconnected or emotionally drained. You might be thinking that the idea of doing a task that used to bring you joy might suddenly leave you depleted. Well, that feeling of gradual detachment has actually been diagnosed as burnout, which I learned recently is now a syndrome, not just a symptom. So how do you know you've reached the point of burnout? And it's not just stress. More importantly, what if you're saying, well, I think I have burnout, but I'm an adult. I have responsibilities. What do you expect me to do about it? Common question. Well, luckily for you, I've got the co-founder of Lifehack Method, Demir Bentley, to talk us through everything. And Demir, I hear that you are joining me from Colombia. Is that the? Um, is that how you crack the code? Is that how you get rid of burnout? Is move to Colombia? It is not the only thing you have to do to <laughs> eliminate burnout, but it, it definitely doesn't hurt. Yeah, I love that. You know, you're, you're making a good decision going out there. Um, well, you know, I, this this is something that affects so many people. So, you know, I don't even want to say, oh, what is burnout? Because I feel like a lot of people know what it is. But do you have um, kind of a definition of burnout that people might not really realize or think about? Yeah, you know, it's funny because so many people have experienced burnout for so long that it doesn't feel like it's anything new and everybody knows exactly (laughs) what you're talking about when you say burnout. But we are having an interesting moment in, in sort of the official circles of mental health for burnout. As of January this year, burnout finally became um, a recognized condition. Now, before wow. burnout was a symptom of other things, now it's its own syndrome. And so just to quote really quick, burnout is a syndrome conceptualized as a result from chronic workplace stress not successfully managed. And it's characterized by three dimensions. One, feelings of depletion and exhaustion. I think we all know that. Uh, (laughs) Two, increased mental distance from your job, like feelings of negativism, cynicism, that kind of thing. And number three, reduced professional efficacy. But I think there's a better definition by Cordette McCall. He just says, burnout is when passion is replaced by repetition and quality is replaced by quantity and empathy is replaced by hopelessness. And when you feel like that, you're burned out. That is such an accurate definition. I love that. Um, Okay. So then to expand upon that, you sort of went through exactly what we can expect if we're feeling burnout, but are there common symptoms of this syndrome? 
it, it's funny if you actually look at um, exhaustion and like chronic exhaustion and you compare it to early onset dementia or even ADD, you will see that a lot of the symptoms have a lot of overlap, um, sudden and frequent anger and frustration, uh, a, a difficulty concentrating, uh, difficulty focusing, and I could go, I could go on and on. And so a lot of people come to me in my professional job where I'm a productivity coach and they say something to the effect of my brain is broken. It used to work. Now it doesn't anymore. Or maybe I have ADD and I wasn't (laughs) diagnosed. My brain is broken. I do that. That's common that you feel that sometimes. Sorry, continue. No, I totally get it. I, 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 you have to laugh to keep from crying sometimes, but I get it. Um, and what I tell a lot of them is let's fix your productivity problems and then see if some of these other things go away because it's likely that you didn't suddenly develop uh, something later in life. It's likely that you're just in a state of chronic exhaustion, a.k.a. burnout. Wow. You know, um, I'll share this story, Demir, with you and you can let me know what you think. But um, just kind of it it follows on the comment that you made that this is now known as a syndrome. And there was one time where I worked really hard. I I love to say yes to everything. And I don't typically feel burnt out because I love my job. But there was one time I said yes to everything. And I, I was on the shoot for like seven days straight. I was waking up early, early in the morning and working all day long. And I loved it all the way till the end. And then I came back to New York and I was getting dinner with a friend and I just started uncontrollably laughing. And I was like, I don't know what's wrong with my brain. Something, my brain is broken for lack of better words. Um, my brain is broken. And then all of a sudden I just started crying. I'm like, I don't know what I'm crying about. And I think I was at this state of exhaustion that was just Mm -hmm. so aggressive that I'm like, wow, I think I'm burnt out. I need a little bit of a break. So once you reach that point and you realize, I think I have a little bit of burnout, what do you do? Because you can't always take a vacation. You know, it, you, you have to say we have normal lives and we have responsibilities. So how do you manage that? Well, I just want to take a step back and identify with what you're saying. You know, an important part of understanding what motivates me to do this work is that 10 years ago, I almost worked myself to death working 80 hours a week in finance. I was giving a Ooh. presentation at work. My friend was there, said that my eyes literally just rolled back in my head and I melted into the ground and I was rushed to the hospital and diagnosed with something called salary man, sudden death syndrome, which just means you're working yourself to death. And that brush with death really forced me to step back and take a completely new approach to the concept of work and how I personally related to work. And and now COVID, by the way, is sort of pushing us all to that brink, especially in the last couple of weeks with the Ukraine crisis. I, I am seeing so many people reaching out to me saying, this is it. I've hit rock bottom. I desperately need to change my relationship to work because at this point uh, I just don't have any capacity anymore and I am I am seeing either in your case Abby it was a it was an emotional manifestation in my case it was physical but you people are getting these warning signs so I know you asked about what can we do and I'm filled with things uh, that you can actually do to make it yes let's hear it (laughs) got it got it (laughs) you know I'm really sort of like the Johnny Appleseed of the concept of planning your week. We surveyed 5,000 professionals who manage between five and 50 people, which is just a way, Abby, of saying that they're really successful. If you're mm. entitled to manage five to 50 people, people trust you. You're very <laughs> successful. Anyone, so. <laughs> <laughs> and what's interesting is we asked them, what are the most important skills, habits that will enable you to win your week? 
Almost 94% of them included in their top five the concept of planning your week ahead of time. So, duh, right? Plan your week ahead of time if you want a week. Pretty simple. I followed up with those 5,000 people and asked them, how many times out of the last four weeks have you actually planned your week? Less than 1% of them had a consistent habit planning the week, even though almost all of them knew that they should. So I'm really out there, almost like the Johnny Appleseed of, hey, we need to be planning our week. It just takes 30 simple minutes. It's something everybody can do. And it really is the smallest thing you can do to get immediate relief in that sense of overwhelm and that sense of exhaustion. So when you say plan your week, um, obviously, like what? I it's hard to ask this question because everyone has such a different job. Everyone has a different life, but you know, depending on your job, let's say you have a nine to five, yep. what does planning your week look like? Because you know, you got to be at the office or working from home or whatever from nine to five. And then you say like, okay, at this time I'm going to work out. And this time I'm going to cook this time. I'm going to the grocery store. I mean, what does that look like? Yeah. So if you think about the concept of being overwhelmed or overloaded or overexhausted simply as a failure to accurately understand your time supply and your time demand. So if you were running a business, you have to, you know, make sure that the books balance, right? You can't sell inventory that you don't have. Uh, so you got to balance the books. Really a great planning is simply balancing your books and, and looking at your inventory of time and then balancing that against the claims that you have on the time or the bids that you have on the time. That is at the simplest possible level, how we can think about planning our week. But I think where, where it can get counterintuitive, and, and believe me, that's, that's the reason productivity can be so hard, is that often our intuition takes us to exactly the wrong place. And so what gets really counterintuitive, I'll just take you through step one. Step one, whenever I'm having people plan the week, is I have them look back on their last week and do a postmortem and, and just glean at least one lesson of something that you either did really right or did wrong and how you can improve the next week. Right there, everybody recoils. Right there. Why? Because we want to sort of bury <laughs> the dead bodies. <laughs> exactly. How dare you? <laughs> we, we really want to take those dead bodies and sort of like quietly bury them in the forest. We don't want to have to look <laughs> at them. And 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 that that skill of just being able to say, no, I'm actually going to look at it is so counterintuitive that uh, what we really want to do is run the other way. And what we what we should be doing is is taking a deep look at the week and saying, hey, if I was exhausted this week, there's something to be learned there. And even if it's just one thing, there's one thing I can do better in this coming week. And again, so so that's just one step in a process that I take people through that takes 30 minutes. But it just goes to show you that even in step one, we're talking about something that's highly counterintuitive. So it's no wonder that people either don't plan their week or they plan it badly, have a bad experience, and then say to themselves, well, planning the week doesn't work for me simply because they didn't do it in the right way. I see. So that is that is counterintuitive because, you know, I think it takes a lot for someone to look, one, you're like, I already don't have time. I'm burnt out. I don't have time to like look back on my last week and what I did right and wrong. Um, but if you just take, I think sometimes we think things might take longer than they actually do. And if we can just kind of focus on it and make it happen and, and um, just reflect on the last week. I love that idea. Something I need to do better. You're, you're holding up a mirror to me right now, Demir. I don't like it. <laughs> you know, and, and I don't want to I, I really don't want to be dishonest about this. You know, the, even when done perfectly, Abby, planning is like taking a slap in the face today instead of a punch in the face 
on Thursday. It's never going to feel great to look into your week and specifically ask yourself what could go wrong in the coming week? What's coming at me? Even done perfectly, it is going to antagonize your sense of anxiety or fear. And this is why, again, it's not, it's very counterintuitive to do this because it's anxiety provoking. It brings up our fear. And so, there is a little deal that you have to make with yourself and say, I am going to take the slap in the face today so I don't get jumped by five guys in a dark alley, yes. at least, you know, symbolically <laughs> later in the week. Hopefully symbolically. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, that's so interesting. And I, I like that approach too. Um you know, I, I'm kind of, my mind goes to whenever I'm talking to someone and like, I love my job. So again, like, I'm not just saying this because this is being recorded and I don't know who's listening, but I'm, I truly mean it. Like I am so blessed that I don't always feel burnt out cause I'm always invigorated, but you know, you reach that, reach that point sometimes where you're like, okay, I might need a, like a long fat nap. Um, but you know, talking to people, I think one of the most common things is like they get stuck in this perpetual state of I need to continuously work. I need to, I need to go up to the next level and I, I need to do this now. And I know it, it's, it stinks, but I'm going to do it anyway. So how do you manage work? Because you don't want to take a step back and be like, Oh, you know, what? I'm going to go up to my boss and be like, I'm, I need a break. Like, yeah, you know, we, we don't have the luxury of doing that. And also I, I personally, and maybe this is, maybe this is a hot take, but I don't think that's a good way to handle it. I think we just do need to work hard. So how do you manage that, Demir? Yeah, I, I, I totally understand. The lived experience of almost anybody's life in the modern world is that you can never say no to anything. You have to keep saying yes. And most people in the week not having gotten everything done, but having tried to get everything done. And this is where I think the biggest mistake is. The reason I say it's a mistake is that when you start from the place of, Success is not getting everything done. It's getting the right things done at the right time to increase my impact and do the most good. Then you have a chance at winning the week. But when you start the week saying, no, it doesn't matter. I just got to get all of this done. What's going to happen is you're going to fall short in some respect. You're going to keep grading yourself F week after week. I failed this week. I failed this week. I failed this week. And that is going to start to erode your sense of self-confidence and the trust that you have with yourself that when you say something's going to get done, it's going to get done. So I wouldn't, I, I, I'm with you. I think hard work's great. I think people love working hard. I think they love what they do. I just want them to set themselves up for success rather than setting themselves up for failure consistently. Oh, I like that. What, what success isn't getting everything done. It's getting as much done in the best way possible. Is that what you said? Yeah, that it's way? getting Otherwise the, the right things done in the right time to maximize the amount of good that you can do. And I'll just step back and say, it helps to start with the widest angle possible, the widest lens. As knowledge workers, we most of us and most people who are listening to this are gonna be knowledge workers, meaning you're not paid hourly, although try to work two hours a week and see what your boss does, right? But, <laughs> but, but in truth, you're paid for results. You're paid for your education, your ability to create 
larger connections and your, your ability to create value. And the problem is when knowledge workers start seeing themselves as simply task clickers, where you're just checking off task after task, what you're really doing is you're abdicating your most important responsibility, which is to be basically step back and say the most important job of a knowledge worker is actually deciding what won't get done. And we're here thinking we have to get everything done. I, I would just position to people who are thinking about this, who are in burnout, who are listening to this saying, I doubt this guy could ever say anything that could, that could ease my burden. I would say step one could be stepping back and saying, am I abdicating my most important job, which is stepping back and saying, what is not going to get done here? And then reallocating the remaining time to where I can do the most good. Wow. You know, it's, I love that you say this because I am a firm believer that you can rewire your brain and sometimes our circumstances don't change, but you can change the way that you approach those circumstances. And, and it sounds like that kind of fits in with what you're saying is that, you know, instead of saying, I need to get all of this done, this is, I need to just, it's a checklist. This needs to get done. This needs to get done. You're like, okay, well, this isn't going to get done, but eventually it will get done. It just, it's about kind of managing your time. Um, so like, I guess on that point, what is your biggest suggestion to people who have a hard time managing their time? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I feel the first thing is stepping into extreme ownership of your time. I think one of the unsung heroes in the personal development space is an author called Laura Vanderkam, who wrote an excellent book called um, 168 Hours. And what she did in that book is she made a really successful argument that what we really need to do is step into extreme ownership of all the time we have. And you'll see this often. Um, the number one thing I have my clients do when they start with me, Abby, is every single person down the line, I don't care if you work at Google, I don't care if you work at PepsiCo, I have you track your time for two weeks to really see where your time has been going. And one of the things that happens naturally when you track your time for two weeks is you're becoming radically clear and taking ownership of what's actually happening in your, in your time. And funny things happen. So for example, I had uh, the president of a law firm, somebody very high powered, and she swore to me up, down, left, right, center, Demir, I don't even have 30 minutes to myself. I said, okay, well, you know, let's see. <laughs> she got, two weeks after she was supposed to turn in her time tracker, didn't hear for her, from her for a week, for two weeks. Finally, she sort of you know, slunk back into my email inbox and said, you know, I've been avoiding you because what I found from my time tracker is I spend 11 hours a week reading the news. And I swore to you that I didn't even have That's 30 minutes of time. <laughs> and yes. here I tracked my time and I realized I had 11 hours. So she was ashamed, but there was no reason to be ashamed. It just goes to show how our lived perception of how much time we have can radically different from how much time we actually have. So you asked me, what's the number one thing you can do? Make a commitment and then take actions that support that commitment to take radical ownership of the 168 hours you have. It's so funny. I thought you were going to say like, yeah, she said to I spent 11 hours watching the real housewives of Salt Lake city, <laughs> but she was reading the news. That seems, that seems very productive to me, but, um, 11 hours for someone who does not work in the news, I guess I should put it into perspective. Um, that is a lot, but at least she's, she's well, very but, knowledgeable but again, about what's if, going on. If if that's how she wanted to be using her time, fantastic. I think the, the illustration isn't that there's some, something intrinsically wrong 
wrong with that use of time, more that how crazy is it that she never would have in a million years guessed that that was where her time was going. And that that spread between where you think your time is going and where it's actually going is so much opportunity for you to get back in control of your time and make your time go where you want it to. All right, we've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, so Demir, you're so good at telling people how to potentially prevent burnout. But what happens if... They're like, you know, Demir has some great suggestions, but I'm just going to do my thing. And now I'm burnt out. What do you do once you have burnout? How do you recover and how long does it usually last? Well, let me make an impassioned plea for, you know, burnout makes it sound like it's done. Burned out. You're done. You're already burned. In truth, most of the clients that I talk to are in the gray area of burnout. And what's so dangerous about burnout is that it could take a career that you've spent a long time building career capital in that you actually love and it can extinguish that love. And when I've seen clients, when they extinguish the love that they had for their career, it is nearly impossible to get it back. And so just like we can take our life partner for granted and maybe not do the work that we need to do and recognize early like hey we need to actually maintenance this relationship and then the love is extinguished and then we look at each other and say i guess there's no path for us except to get divorced because there's nothing left here there's no more love that can happen in your career so let me just make an impassioned plea if you think you're burning out you should take it very very seriously because i've had so many lawyers say i spent you know decades getting good as a lawyer, and now I cannot bring myself to do even the smallest bit of lawyering because I've completely Mm. extinguished the passion that I have for lawyering. And then they have to go start at the bottom of the ladder in another career because they just can't bear to face being a lawyer anymore. So, So that's number one is recognize it early, please, for yourself, for your family, for your sanity, for your passion. You know, you if you've spent years and decades developing career capital, don't let it go out. Take take a, a serious action right now to save that whatever passion you have left and use that as, as the match, as the as the the starter to rekindle that passion and, and actually get to a place where you where you're in love with your career again. So how do you do that, though? Yeah, you just you yeah. take a step back and you say, you know what, maybe I do need a little break. I'm going to go do what I love outside of work and then come back. I mean, what, what do you tell people? Yeah. You know what? I'm, I'm a smaller is better guy. I, I know we mm-hmm. often think I need I need a month in Italy minimum drinking wine <laughs> to to come Sounds back lovely. from this. And if you can, God bless it. Please take that trip yes. to Italy. <laughs> but what I'd like to encourage you to think about is that so many small things can get you back faster than you possibly imagine. One of my challenges I have for clients when they're burned out is I say a week of too much sleep. And they say, too much sleep, Demir. What does too much sleep mean? I mean, 
if you're getting five, six hours, I want you to spend a week and doctor's orders get 10 hours of sleep. And often what will happen is people cannot physically sleep that much. Their, no, their clock just no won't chance. let them. But I, but it, it's, it, I exhort them to max out on sleep for a week and then come back and tell me how you feel. I can tell you every single person's perspective is brighter. Their ability to take positive action has increased. And so often what's happening in burnout is also just that you need some sleep. And sleep is something that everybody can clear out at least one week to really catch up on your sleep. I'm not saying it's going to fix every single problem that's on your plate. I'm saying that you're better positioned to think about solutions to your problem when you're well rested. Have you ever had a situation, Abby, where you were so tired that you were grumpy and just not thinking clearly and and just the it almost paints the whole world in like a negative picture? Maybe right now, Demir. I mean, you might be calling me out. <laughs> no, 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 I'm just kidding. Um, yes, definitely I have. I've had that experience. So that's one. And what can you do when you're already deep, knee deep in overwhelm? Get as much sleep as possible. Take naps, squeeze in naps, whatever you can. Sleep, 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 sleep. I love the sleep expert, um, oh, Matthew. Oh, gosh, I forget his name, but he, he's one of the, the foremost sleep experts right now. And he said, if we could put what we get from sleep into a pill, people would pay hundreds of dollars for it because we've got a better attitude. We're physically, we've got more stamina. We're more positive. So sleep is something that you really can't OD on. And I really challenge my clients to get as much sleep. Here's another thing. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say how, well, I, I want you to finish your point because I'm, I'm really interested in this, but how does sleep help with burnout? Yeah, you know, the thing about sleep, and it's actually quite mysterious, so I won't position myself as a sleep expert. And in truth, we still don't understand a lot of why we sleep. I mean, why would, you know, nature optimize a condition where we're exposed and vulnerable for eight to nine hours? It does not seem like an optimal trait. And yet the entire animal kingdom has some form of sleep, even all the way down to yeast cells. So sleep is clearly something that is deeply optimized by nature. But we do know this. We do know that when you sleep, you're less prone to negative thoughts and fear-based thoughts and anxiety. It's harder to get you into a fight or flight state. We know that you have more stamina when it comes to work. We know that you're more positive. And if we give you surveys about how you see the world, you tend to see the world in a more positive way. And I, in the list, Abby, you would not believe how long the list of is of positive things that happen when you get caught up on your sleep. Amen. I love that. But you were saying something else that there was a, there was another point that you had um, yes. before I interrupted you. <laughs> yes. Another thing that happens when a client comes to me and says to me, I am knee deep in burnout is I tell them to start thinking about changing the way you look at your task list. Again, remember I said that people tend to look at their task list as I have to get all of this done. Um, yeah. I had a client who I'm thinking about named Rhonda, working mom, three kids doing home learning during the pandemic, cramped wow, in a small city. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I see this all the time and it hurts my heart. Cramped in a small apartment in San Francisco. I mean, Rhonda was drowning, drowning. Sure. And I told her, listen, Rhonda, life isn't a fair fight. Life gets to come at you from all directions, but you only get to fight on one front at a time. So. If you really try to take on everything, you're going to lose. The way to escape that kind of trap is to focus whatever limited energy you can summon on doing one thing every week that makes your life easier. 
We call that a leverage point because it's, it's your ability to actually put all of your strength into one place and actually magnify the impact that you have from that effort. So she found one of those leverage points and, and it actually saved her 15 hours a week in a really unexpected place. You want to know where? 15 hours? 15 where? hours. Tell me. So Rhonda was tracking her time and realized, again, remember how you can be spending way more time on something than you think. She realized she'd been spending 20 hours a week on food prep for her family. That's between <laughs> deciding on the recipe, going shopping, mm -hmm. cooking, cleaning, the whole shebang, 20 hours a week. So she bought into one of these meal service boxes like Blue Apron. It reduced that to less than five hours a week all told. Wow. So she's saving 15 hours a week for the rest of time. That my friend is leverage. So I tell people what we need to be looking for is not how do we get to the end of our to-do list? A completely different and much better question to ask yourself is what's one thing I can do every week that makes my life permanently easier? One thing that lightens the load. And I promise, Abby, you'll feel the difference if you approach your life like that within a month and within a year, you'll be a different person. Wow. I can't believe that. It's I, I kind of get where she's coming from, though. Like, you know, when you when you try to go shopping and, and mood uh, uh, meal prep and, and all of that, especially depending on where you live, like if you're in New York, you got to walk, you got to allot that time. So I I think what I'm getting from you is this common theme of uh, what you said earlier was just kind of taking responsibility for the amount of time that you are spending on something and, and looking in a mirror and saying, Hey, like, do I really need to be spending that much time on this? Whether it's meal prepping or like, is there a way to make it easier? Um, but yeah. Wow. God bless her. Yeah. That's great. Exhaustion and burnout rob us of perspective. And the problem mm -hmm. with perspective is we do this thing called telescoping. Meaning if a bear just walked out of the woods, you would probably be looking at what? Oh my God, the bear, right? Your, your entire world zooms into bear, bear, bear. Oh my God, is this bear gonna eat me? What, what are you not looking at when you zoom in like that? Escape routes, right? <laughs> Should I go up that tree? Should I run around that rock? You know, it, ironically, our fear-based mind, and, and I'm not just talking about you and me, I'm talking about everybody in the world has a bias towards fear. It's kept us alive for many, many, many millennia. And yet what that does in the modern world is it gets us trapped only seeing problems and we, we end up seeing everything as a problem and we stop seeing solutions. You know, I watched um, I watched a, a Netflix documentary um, or docu-series and it was about the human brain and it was about focus. And it kind of reminds me because they had um, they were like, oh, but you can focus like tell me how many times this guy is is doing a flip on this trampoline. They were doing you know, it's, it's an old scientific method um, of study. And so I'm sitting there and I'm counting the amount of times I'm like, oh, this is easy. Like I can count. And then at the very end of the of the episode, they were like, well, how many times did the man in the gorilla suit cross your screen? And I was like, oh, I was so focused on this guy doing these backflips. I didn't even notice that there was someone walking yep. across the screen in a gorilla suit. And that kind of um, it, it it makes me think of what you're saying is that sometimes you focus in on one thing. You don't really see the outside world and you kind of get this tunnel vision. Um, and, and I think that's a great way of putting it to people. So, Demir, I mean, I. I've gotten so much good information from you and I'm just curious kind of to wrap things up. 
What's one piece, and I'm putting you on the spot, but what's one piece of advice you would give to someone who is like, I know what burnout is. Like, I don't even know why you have to do a podcast on this. Like, I experienced burnout. I got it. What would you tell them to maybe maximize their potential of getting past burnout? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a broken record like this. It's all about planning your week. Mm-hmm. When you plan your week, it's almost like the scientific process. It, it steps you away from your fear and bias, which is something that clouds the way we see our week because we really can't take the best action we're capable of taking when our perspective on our world is clouded by fear, bias, anxiety, avoidance. And, and planning is not planning. People say, oh, I plan my week. Planning really is a posture. It's a posture of extreme ownership. It's a posture of really wanting to clear away your fear and bias and see the world as it actually is. Get your perspective back and actually be able to create a plan where you can prove to yourself that you can actually start making progress. It's one thing to say, oh, get a better attitude. You can't better attitude your way out of burnout. You actually need to change some tactics. So that's why we're so passionate about teaching people how to win the week. We actually do it for free. We teach everybody in the world how to win the week in less than 30 minutes at winningtheweek.com because it's just so important. I want people to learn it. I want them to teach it to their kids. That is the number one thing, the smallest thing you could do to get back in control of your life and eliminate burnout. Incredible. Winningtheweek.com in case you missed that. Um, Demir Bentley, thank you so much for coming on. I think that I'm confident in saying that I might not ever get burnout again because I talked to you. So hopefully (laughs) our listeners feel the same. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, Abby. All right, if you missed anything from class, these are my office hours, and here are some top takeaways about burnout. Number one, we for a long time looked at burnout as a symptom, but now it's officially recognized as a syndrome, which brings me to number two. Common tip to dealing with burnout is to plan your week. Look at your inventory of time and figure out where you can manage it. Demir emphasizes looking back at your last week and gleaning one lesson about what you did right or what you did wrong and say, you know what, what can I do better? He says it's like taking a slap in the face today instead of a punch in the face on Thursday. It might be hard to do right now, but it'll help you in the long run. And number three. To deal with burnout, Demir suggests recognizing it early. If you've spent years developing career capital, don't let it burn out. Use that passion as a match to ignite that flame again. Plus, so many small things can get you back to that. It doesn't have to be this month in Italy, but what will work wonders is a week of too much sleep. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast on Burnout. For more podcasts, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and leave us a review. This has been Getting Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Class dismissed. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.